Hey everyone, welcome to We're Watching Here. We're Watching Here. In case you forgot, this is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the Michael Keaton to my Ezra Miller. Perry Cyber. <laughs> All right. All right. I will take that over Ben Affleck. I, absolutely. There, there was a lot of ground I could have covered because, God, it's going to, we have a lot to talk about because it has been three months since we have recorded. A long, long time. Three long the Oscars months. are exhausting. And nap very tiring. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I will admit that was totally on me. I, I took a class that I, shouldn't have i uh <laughs> went on vacation i went to jury duty uh there was a whole bunch of stuff going on but now i'm back and it, it's just movies all the time so how are you perry how, how's i life? am i am good i am well we are well into the summer season and i am looking forward to the fall movie season already <laughs> I, I i you know what i i was i, I I was going to ask you about that. If you ever reach the same point I do where it usually isn't until July that I hit this wall, but there usually comes a point in the summer where I am like, do I like movies anymore? Like, like especially with the new stuff, it just, it gets so fatiguing. Because if you want to write about stuff that people are going to read, you kind of got to keep up to date with the big stuff. And I've kept up to date with the big stuff and I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Thankfully, now that I am not a full time critic anywhere, I mean, other than a, a weekly spot. So I don't have to keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't suffer from that anymore. But yes, when you have to see everything. Yes, I would absolutely hit a point about late June, mid July. You're like, I don't know. No, yeah. I can't. I can't do another one of these. Give me anything else. Give me anything else. I, I can't watch any more product. There's usually the point where I'm just about ready to tell, and I'll tell my wife this every year. I think I'm done. I think I'm done. And then the Toronto Film Festival will come around, and I'll start reading about that, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, fall's on the way. I, I'm excited about fall." So what usually happens for what, what used to happen for me? August would come around, and that would be the month when they would release the stuff. They weren't sure how to market, but they knew it was pretty good to come out in summer. And there'd mm. usually be something interesting in August to write about. You just have to get through. The end of July. That's when yeah. it used to get really. That's that's that was the that was the uh, dog days of movie going summer when I was yeah. out and I was seeing everything all the time. Well, I'm, I'm not a huge box office nerd or anything, but I've been looking at the box office reports the past few weeks, and I feel like the general public is saying all the summer is the dog days now because things are just like dropping right and left. Yeah. Um, which I, I mean, it kind of lines up. Like I'm kind of encouraged to see that people are like. Yeah, we're not going to go see the new Transformers. We're not going to go see the new Flash. We'll go see the new Spider-Man. I'm like, okay, the movies I like, you're all liking. <laughs> but, um, you know, the movies I didn't like, you're not tossing a ton of money at, which kind of makes me feel like maybe they're listening to critics. I don't know. So I have to ask, since I have not seen it yet, mm-hmm. I, I'm fascinated at the fact that they have to market this as a giant tentpole movie without being able to trot the star out there. How is the Flash? Okay, I will say I have a review for it at my newsletter. If anyone wants to, they can go read the full review. Um, so The Flash is weird because it's it's positioned as this big tentpole that's going to save the DC universe or whatever, and it's this big event. But it's just fine. Like, I didn't hate it. <laughs> I didn't hate it. But I feel like it's marketed as a big event, like this big multiverse event, which we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, 
but the best parts of it are actually where it's just a kind of weird comedy like Ezra Miller has done a lot allegedly done a lot of things that um I don't endorse and I totally understand why they need to hide them from the publicity materials I I totally get that it is a weird fact that, that Ezra Miller is very little in very little of the marketing materials but the film itself doubles down on Ezra Miller because they're playing two roles for most of the movie. They're really good. They're they're funny. Um, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of Ezra Miller on screen. Yeah, I I mean I look back at uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. I think Brilliant. I I think I named them the uh, the best supporting performance of that year. I, I really like them. Um, yeah. You know, so the first half is kind of this fun movie. It's okay. The back half is a mess of like multiverse bullshit that i don't care about um michael keaton is a fun i like michael keaton as an actor i was kind of confused because i'm like oh he doesn't seem like he's playing the same batman there's there's something about the character that doesn't feel like it's the same batman from tim burton until i remembered there was no batman character in the tim burton movies (laughs) burton didn't care about batman no Um, care about bruce wayne yes indeed but there is a portion in the last half hour where it is basically every version of Superman or Batman that could have existed is on the screen with some of the like most 90s CD-ROM computer effects I have ever seen. It's, <laughs> it's awful. And it is. There's another movie playing right down the hall that takes a similar concept and does it really well. And watching the flash it's just all fan service it is pelting you with eggs like it yeah it's just bad um i will say if you're a fan of kevin smith there's a story he tells several times that finally gets its uh its little punchline in this movie feeling i know what that is yeah and it's it's fine uh the flash (laughs) is fine it is okay perfectly mediocre thank you i now feel good about not seeing it yet yeah (laughs) perfectly It'll show up on Max in a month or two. And sure, watch it while you fold your laundry. (laughs) High praise indeed. Yeah. So we are going to do a supersized summer what we're watching because it's been so long since we've uh, we've talked about movies together. Um, Also, because a little inside baseball, we thought this episode might be shortcuts. Shortcuts is really hard to track down. Um, It is not streaming anywhere. So we have one blu-ray of shortcuts between the two of us and we'll have to figure that off offline but we will get around to that we will we will i think we should have a double feature i think you should come over and we should watch that and brewster mcleod which i've had recorded on my dvr since we started this <laughs> however long we will ago make we started that happen. the Altman stuff I we will make fun. that happen that'll be fun that'll be fun um so why don't we start with you i've already talked a little bit about the flash so uh why don't you talk about something uh you've been watching so i looking back over everything i've seen since the last time we talked and there is one film i have seen this year so far and i i i tend to be uh, my habit is now to not see nearly as much as i probably should at the beginning of the year and catch up on a whole lot later in the year yeah but i will see i have seen one thing that um i don't like to call films perfect I think that's a really lazy adjective to use. I also think it's not right. There's no such, there's no such thing as a perfect film, but if we want to use it in a way that we mean it, that the director and every creative person involved made exactly the right decision 
to tell the story and make the movie they wanted to make. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret is a perfect movie. <laughs> I, I was utterly, utterly, utterly charmed by it. Uh, I love everybody involved in it. I love all the people behind the camera. I now love everybody in front of and even people I didn't know of before in front of the camera. Um, it's, you know, you can be reminded why James L. Brooks is really good at his job uh, when, with a movie like this. That it's just, it is it is beautifully produced. It is beautifully directed. Uh, it, is, it is exquisitely acted. If you have not seen Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, yet. Oh, do so. I don't care who you are. This is the kind of movie I can recommend to anybody. It's really good. I'm really bummed that I haven't gotten around to this one yet. Uh, I think the weekend it came out, I had some time to go to a movie, but I had the kids with me. So we saw, are you there? God, it's a me Mario, but uh... (laughs) there is no God. It's me Mario. Yes. Uh, But I really want to see this. My wife, was really curious about this and I was hoping to make a screening happen or a date night happen. And it just didn't happen. And then I started reading the reviews and like, Oh, I really want to see this. So as soon as that hits uh VOD, I'm, I'm picking, I'm hitting that one. It's uh, tell, t- watch it and tell everyone, you know, to watch it. I have heard great things. I, I, I've heard really good things. So I will add that to my list. Um, I've seen a lot of the, as we were talking about, I've seen all the big movies this summer, which is just really sapping my will to live. Um, but <laughs> so, I, and I don't want to talk about all of them um, because I have reviews elsewhere for Fast X, which is not good and apparently called Fast 10 um, and not, <laughs> not Fast 10 Your Seatbelts, which is the obvious. That's you know, why right not? There. Why wouldn't they do yeah. that? Um, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So I liked I. it. It was fine. Moving on. We've already so talked about much yelling. So much yelling. So much yelling uh, in I Guardians a- 3. So much yelling, Chris. Why are they yelling at each other all the time? Uh, because funny. But like, <laughs> like that's that's what James Gunn does, is he makes people yell at each other and then I, tortures animals so we feel bad. I had the thought while watching it that we've now reached the point with the summer blockbuster where we've we've managed to cover humans in so many effects that I don't believe they're humans anymore. And at the same time, we've managed to make animals so human, I believe they're human. <laughs> we've crossed some some line has been it, crossed in a flow chart somewhere. And it's it's not it's not good. It's not good. I will I will say with Guardians of the Galaxy as opposed to most of the Marvel movies I've seen in the last two years, I actually believed there was a real location with real people on the screen. Um, <laughs> the, the special effects in it were good. Fair. It was fine. I like those movies. I like this one. It's it. I saw it. <laughs> you know, uh, we've already talked to Flash. I saw Elemental, which I just do want to say it's not the disaster everyone is saying it is. It's a perfectly fine, serviceable Pixar movie. <laughs> which is just not what you want from Pixar, right? Like you want Pixar to push above and beyond. And I will say the animation is gorgeous. It is worth seeing. And it's the rare movie worth seeing in 3D. It is a beautiful movie. It might be my favorite, some of my favorite animation they've done. Um, The story is basically a mishmash of Inside Out, Zootopia. Like it's everything. It it is one big messy metaphor (laughs) that doesn't quite work. So doesn't deserve, you know, to be the nail in Pixar's coffin, but it's fine. 
uh, that's that's pretty much this summer. Everything is just fine. You know, Little Mermaid, it was high praise that it was fine. There was one big movie that I saw that I thought was more than fine. And uh, that's the one I want to talk about. It was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I saw um, that. Which I, I think it was back on our, maybe even our first episode, I started talking about how this was my favorite. The first movie was my favorite of 2018. And when we did our best of the decade, I think uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was on my best of the decade list. Don't know that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse will make my next best of the decade <laughs> list, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was fun. I thought the animation really just astonished me. Like, the amount of different styles and worlds they created. There's a watercolor world that is just, I want to frame that and put it on my walls. <laughs> I like these characters a lot. I like the fact that it's multiverse is an excuse to really examine Spider-Man and what it means for a person or a horse or a T-Rex to be Spider-Man. Um, I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. It was exciting. And it was half a movie, um, which is... yeah. The, the, the probably the main thing making me not able to say I loved it as much as the first one is it's very much the first half of a movie. And I don't know how to really judge that without any resolution. Right. Well, it's not even that to me. It's a movie and a half because it does tell the Gwen Stacy story mm -hmm. that's resolved. Yes. But it spends another 45 minutes of a film that runs, what, 220, 230? It's long. It's way too long um, you know, to set up the next Miles Morales story. And um, I was angry when I left the theater. <laughs> I, was, I was very angry that we're not going to result. That you, spent me, you made me spend two and a half hours in this world and didn't bother to finish telling me the story that you wanted to tell me. Um, and I also, I, I, I agree with, I, I'll co-sign, sign off on everything you said. It is, it is a spectacular looking movie. At the same time, the movie it reminded me of was Robert Rodriguez's Sin City, which is one yeah. of the few movies in this life that exhausted me. <laughs> um, I like it, but it's like, it is nothing, nothing is the same. I have to constantly calibrate what I'm looking at uh, to the point that it's exhausting. It's tiring for someone who, is trained to try to watch every single inch of every frame of every movie that goes in front of them. I don't, I don't like, I, I, I like Sin City was exhausting because uh, blood is like eight different colors in that movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what's going to, I don't know for sure what I'm looking at ever. And I fell into a little bit of that in this. It's all purposeful. I don't mind it. It doesn't feel showy. It's like, oh, let's do this. Cause this is fun. And we want to do this. Like it's, it's all the best intentions behind it. Oh boy, I would have liked just an hour and a half of the Gwen Stacy story and just give me a little That's nugget really to good. tie me over. That would have been ideal. Um, but this was this was fine. I'm <laughs> I'm glad it's out there. I will say, so I took my kids to see this one Saturday, and when that to be continued popped up, <laughs> my daughter, who was not aware that movies could do that, burst into tears. Because she wanted the happy ending. She wanted it to be and like it builds like it ends on a cliffhanger. And yes, as a little kid, you want that to be resolved. I knew there was a part three coming or a part two to part two or whatever it is. So I was a little conditioned to be like, yeah, OK, this is where they're going to end it. I might have ended it about 20 minutes earlier. Um, there, there was a fine place to end it earlier that. Yes, there was. And, and it's whatever. I, I'm a little 
happier to know that the next one is coming in March. So it's not a two year wait. Like Fast 10 ends with a giant cliffhanger and they haven't even started shooting the next movie yet. And uh, <laughs> apparently the next Mission Impossible is also a part one. So yes this at least they're Mar- upfront about it though yeah that is true well this was the, this was originally titled spider-man across the spider-verse part one and then i think they decided oh people don't like going into a movie knowing it's part one so we're gonna yeah, reach- people don't like leaving yeah. a movie not knowing it's part one <laughs> yeah yeah so i liked it it, it is one of my favorite ones this year but uh, i didn't think it was exhausting but overwhelming was the word i used it was uh it, it definitely, you are struggling to catch everything on the screen. Uh, tiring. Uh, overwhelming mm-hmm. is, is yes. I, 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 if I said that, that's a terrible word. I don't mean that. It's just like, it's a lot of work. Well, you're the old <laughs> man, so. I don't want Spider-Man to be that much work. <laughs> <laughs> With great work comes great responsibility. It's true. It's very true, Chris. <laughs> What's next for you? What else do you have you seen? Um, I finally got to see Master Gardener, the new oh. Trader film, which I uh, was very eager for since it won, I, I can't remember, was it Venice or Berlin last year? It won one of them. I think it's Venice. Uh, I was uh, very eager for this. It is, it does very much feel like uh, the third film in a trilogy. Mm. <laughs> it feels like First Reformed and the Card Counter and this are all, are all those wonderful subtle mutations on his uh, man in a room movies that all find different notes to sound in them and all find different ways to play with the story points and the style elements you expect from those movies. Uh, it's, it's, uh, okay. it's the film that made me realize my issues with Joel Edgerton, which is that I think Joel Edgerton is a, a, a perfectly acceptable, fine actor. Like I've never caught him being wrong or bad or fake or out of the moment mm-hmm. or unreal. And yet I realized watching this, he has zero charisma. He does not draw <laughs> my eye in the slightest. He's not inherently interesting. Um, and that's, again, um, I think that's part of the reason Schrader casts him here. This is a character that I think he very much wants that out of. And so it's really good casting. <laughs> so to say it's my favorite film that Joel Edgerton has ever been in is true. Uh, uh, it is it is weirdly uh, um, hopeful. Wow, that's <laughs> not what I, I would have expected. Tra- no, yeah. it's not what you expect at all. There is an he 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 does something with the end of this movie that is honest and true to all of his man in a room movies. But you realize this character is different than all of those other characters in a lot of ways and in subtle ways, but in very real and distinct ways that makes this a very different movie than what you'd expect. And the other thing I really liked about it, Chris, it's gorgeous. (laughs) And Paul Schrader doesn't like usually lean into gorgeous, precise. Absolutely. But um, the flowers are beautiful and they're supposed to be and there's a reason they're beautiful he's not just making pretty pictures this is a character who is trying to get to a place of uh where he can believe that he is capable of tending and nurturing and making things beautiful and so it all works it works beautifully cinematically it's gorgeous to look at and it works beautifully thematically with what he's trying to accomplish in the movie i I really liked it i think it's very good i don't know that it'll make my top 10 at the end of the year is it as good as are you there god it's me margaret no no it's not (laughs) but that said i'm always happy for a new paul schrader film and i'm really happy when it's a good one and this is a good one and that reminds me that i still have not caught up with the card counter 
Um, oh, which I, I really wanted to like see. The and then, and I think it's been on Max a few times. It is. I, uh, I think it's there. It, yeah. it might still be there. Uh, so I, I should add that, and I should watch that, and I should watch Master Gardener. And uh, I probably Isaac need to give. So uh, I probably should give First Reformed another spin. It's been a few years since that oh, one, but I so really good. liked that one. So uh, good. Well, how did you see that? Is it in theaters or did you rent it? Or? It was briefly in theaters. I did end up renting it. I watched it at home. Okay. But it's it's there. And I think it's at this point, it's like a reason it's like a seven dollar rental. It's not like a twenty-five dollar okay. rental. So Okay. I just did that with another film we're gonna talk about in a little bit. Okay. Um, but before that, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take a break from talking new movies. And I'm gonna talk a little bit about some older ones I've been watching. Uh one of the things I try to do over at the Criticisms blog is uh watch older movies. They're not usually that old. Um uh, well, okay, I thought they weren't that old until I did the math. And uh <laughs> I, I thought they were I thought most of them were not that old because I saw them when I was a teenager, and um turns out I am that old. But uh, <laughs> I really I, I thought about talking about the noir movie Out of the Past. Um, oh, but you so good. It, but I talked about that on the Seen and Believing podcast a few weeks ago. Sure. Uh, and so you can check that one out. It also has my thoughts on Fast 10. Um, I'm doing a look at or no, I, I also saw this is the end again recently. Oh, uh, I, I love was, that movie, too. I was I was bored on a Saturday. I was actually watching the uh, Apple show um, platonic with Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne. And I sat down to watch one episode and I got through like three and I realized, Oh, I just really like watching Seth Rogen. And so I was like, what else, what does Netflix have with Seth Rogen? And they have, this is the end. And I was like, Oh, I really like this. It's been a while. And I still really like that. It might be the best faith-based movie I've ever seen. And uh, uh, the best, I, I think, the best character introduction I have ever seen goes to Danny McBride in that movie who just really good. Oh, I I, I love that movie so much. Um, Yes. There's so that movie gets quoted my house often in uh, so many different ways. So good. Uh, I'm doing a (laughs) series on the movies of summer 93 over at criticisms, um, which has been interesting. Uh, So I saw cliffhanger. Um, which I'm not going to talk about, but it's fine. Uh, I wrote about <laughs> Jurassic Park. But the movie I want to talk about, the movie I found not good, but fascinating to rewatch for the first time since I was a teenager is Last Action Hero. Oh, yeah. Um, a movie that I don't know that I've thought about it outside of it being identified as a fiasco for the last 30 years. Like that. that is the movie that is kind of the notorious one of the most notorious Schwarzenegger bombs right and I remember saw it at 13 in theaters and I thought it was fine and I never thought about it again um but you know I like John McTiernan I know Shane Black had a hand in that screenplay uh so I was like ah okay this will be one of the ones I I look at because it was a big movie that summer um and I was kind of upset that it wasn't worse Uh, it's, I, I was, I was upset both that it wasn't worse, but also that it wasn't quite good enough that I could say, no, this is a maligned classic, right? Like it's fine. That that's the theme of this episode. Movies that are <laughs> fine. Um, I think it's very funny in some places. I think Schwarzenegger is great. Um, I, I think out of like him and Stallone and Willis, he understood his, like his iconography the most and was able to have the most fun with his persona. Um, I think he's funny. I just think the movie doesn't know what it's doing 
like there there's a real question about whether this kid in this movie is sent into an actual action movie or a naked gun parody of an action movie um the the rules are weird because he's sent seemingly into this one movie but it's kind of maybe all movies because there's a cartoon cat um and it's it's fun i start to think this is one maybe it was a little ahead of its time you had scream come out a few years later that i think kind of took the concept and did a little better had more of a dialogue but there are things that make me laugh there is a gag with dogs doing a cheerleader pyramid yeah it's the dumbest thing in the world and i cackled for about 30 seconds straight yep. at that uh, it's fun I have not seen it since I saw it in the theater. And I remember that. So I remember, I mean, just the, I mean, it was dead on arrival. They mm-hmm. were going to kill this movie. The buzz on it was just atrocious. And I saw it and I was like, that's fine. That's, yeah. that's perfect. I enjoyed that. Like, and I don't enjoy every Schwarzenegger film by any means. That was, that was like, yeah, it's not, uh, you're right. It's not a maligned classic by any means, but it is absolutely in death to smoochy territory for me like it's not it's not bad you don't understand it's not bad <laughs> you're, yeah. you're asking for a different movie than what it is what it is is good it's fine i mean i i think death to smoochy is actually better than good or fine i actually think death to smoochy is very funny <laughs> i need to see that again it's, it's incredibly years. unpleasant it's supposed to be i like death to smoochy uh but that said yes i i i have nothing but fond memories of that movie and I will probably never go back to it. But yes, I have. I, I don't think it nearly is the disaster that it is, is remembered as. Yeah, there is a visual gag about who would play uh, the cyborg in Terminator 2 in the Arnold movie world. And it's a very fun gag. And I think I, I like Schwarzenegger. I don't like everything he's been in by any stretch of the imagination. But he's like, he's very charismatic. He's, he understands his appeal. And I think he understands his limitations too. Um, and he'll make fun of them. Uh, I, I think I also, I, I don't know if I've ever told this on here. I spent an afternoon following Arnold Schwarzenegger around a few years ago. Um, I never got to meet him or talk to him. I was actually, I was working with, um, with the army at that point. And it was like an army engineers thing. And so I went to some engineering conference in Detroit. And this is when he was governor of California. So he came in to talk about hydrogen. And it was just so funny to listen to his speech because he was so willing to pepper it with, oh, and I came to Detroit and I said, Detroit is not dead. It's not a tumor. Detroit will be back. (laughs) And then the best part, though, was I had to like I had to follow him so I could alert people if he was coming to our booth. And so I'm standing back and he's coming out of the green room and this guy like walks up to him and wants an autograph. And he just like pushes him out. No, now I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it made me laugh really hard. So the story uh, I always like is um, there's a, have you ever seen stay hungry? It's a Bob Rafelson film from the, I think 76 or 77, maybe 75. I have not. Um, it's one of it's it's Arnold's first like real movie. Okay. Okay. Um, and he's he's a, he's a tertiary character at best. He's in it, but he's not the star of the movie. It's a Jeff Bridges, Sally Field. Um, it's a good movie. Check it out. That said, there's a story that Rafelson told over and over. Uh, Jeff Bridges used to tell it. Uh, 
about how Rafelson would say that you know, they'd be making this movie and everybody be hanging out and it was very 70s. And there's Schwarzenegger on set with like his business textbooks from he was taking <laughs> classes at USC. And uh, Bridges went over to Rafelson and said, what's up? What's up with Schwarzenegger? And he said, he, Rafelson took a beat, looked at him and said, he's probably the smartest person on this set. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've always remembered about about Schwarzenegger. Yes, all of what we're saying proves this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so last action here, it's on Netflix till July 1st, if any of you want to go check it out. Um, which, you know what, if you have time to kill, you could do worse. It's, it's perfectly fun. <laughs> what else you got for me, Perry? Uh, I will, well, you and old movies, I tell you what, I'll go small screen. Okay. I had the weirdest experience of my TV watching life last month when Mm -hmm. in a period of less than 72 hours, three of the best shows on television at a single time all aired their final episode. Yes. (laughs) When Maisel, Barry, and Succession all ended in a a very brief window, Um, two of them having absolutely spectacular final seasons that were a beautiful exclamation point on the grand achievements of the shows. And the other one being uh, very interesting and worth talking about. I I, I find it to be lesser than the other two in the grand scheme of things. And that's like saying, you know, the fourth best pizza I ever had wasn't as good as the first or second best pizza I ever had. So, you know, this is high praise for all of them. Um, It is rare to see shows go out that strong it's incredibly rare to see two of them go out so strongly um and i will give full credit to succession for feeling like and it couldn't have been but feeling like the entire show was written to get to that final episode Mm -hmm. it does feel like one giant arc and it works beautifully and it works so well that there's no reason there can't be more of it I think he's perfectly willing and interested and capable of revisiting any or all of these characters in whatever period of time he would care to. Um, I, 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 I have become a huge succession fan after this year, especially, which I think is the best year they've done. I've heard that. And I don't know why I haven't watched succession. I like Adam McKay. Um, I, I like watching shows about bad people, uh, kind of <laughs> despicable people. I think when that first season came out, I wasn't really paying much attention and the reviews were kind of mixed that first season. And so I never got on it and then it just fell behind, but I'm still waiting to pull the trigger on the last season, the Sopranos, but I'm starting to think I might do succession before I, because I kind of want to keep Sopranos there. I don't want that one to be over yet either. So uh, I, I might have to do succession. I, yeah, I, I've heard it's, so many good things. It's real good, and it's a show that gets better as it goes. And okay. it's real good out the gate, but I think it gets better and deeper as it goes. Okay. How about Maisel? Maisel's freaking brilliant. My wife, <laughs> my I, wife I, loved I, it. I have been all in on that show. That I, I talked about this on another podcast I did recently. That The first episode of Maisel is as good a season one, episode one that you'll ever – like that show did not have to find its voice. That show had its voice from second one of the first show. It knew exactly what it was going to do. And that's all the more impressive because it is about a character who is a performer who is finding their voice. And I don't know how they managed to pull that off. <laughs> that's that doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever and they've done it uh they've done it to perfection uh yes 
Maze, the finale of Maisel is so good that Amy Sherman Palladino gets away with three endings and they're all good. I'm like, I understand why you didn't want to kill any of them. It would have been brave to kill two of them and let, land on one note, but you hit all three of those final notes. So I'm going to let you go. I really enjoyed it. That's another show that I don't know how I'm not like it's been on in our house. My And I think that might be the problem is my wife has watched it and her and I have very different approaches to TV. Like I very much prefer the weekly release where I can watch one show a week, maybe two episodes <laughs> if I have some time, but I don't want to just, I, I hate the binge model. It just wears uh-huh. me out. She can binge, like she will watch three or four episodes in a sitting. And so I think she binged through Maisel and I never got through it, but I'm like, why haven't I? Because it's a show that's acclaimed for its writing, which is something that I'm usually very attracted to. I'm also fascinated by comedy. So and like stories of comedians. So I don't know why I haven't watched this one yet, except that I have not watched this one yet. You will love it when you get to it. And it is a show that actually benefits from taking some time between episodes. They're dense episodes. Okay. And it's and it is a it is a pace that would be exhausting to watch five or six episodes in a row. It's just Okay. it's that rapid fire Amy Sherman Palladino dialogue. You don't want to, unless it is your comfort world and you know it by heart already. If you're really paying attention and watching it for the first time, it's okay. It's okay. Go slow, pace it out. That's the way to go. And we've both seen Barry. So let's talk a little bit about Barry because I think I, I think I agree with you that I really enjoyed this final season, but I felt like there were some big swings that didn't, there were a lot of attempted home runs that might have been doubles um, that didn't quite work for me, worked well enough. And the cast is so incredible that I liked it, but something just didn't connect. And it's mostly things that happen in the back half of the season. I would mostly agree. Uh, my biggest complaint with it is that like season, th- I don't remember where Sally is at the end of season three. So this is my, that's my one caveat to saying this is I felt like three ends on the perfect note to end the series on. Yes. Yes. Like I don't like, I don't know how you improve that. That's exactly right. Um, And I feel like this whole, if I were being uncharitable and I don't really think this, but I thought it (laughs) is that this entire season felt like a sizzle reel for Bill Hader to get a job as a director Mm. when he'd already accomplished that. Like the, the series takes no chances visually that he didn't already take. Yeah. Like during the run of the show. So it's like, well now what are you doing? Why are you continuing this story this way? And while I didn't, I did, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the season. It really did. It's not the same show anymore at all. Like it's not, it's not, it's not funny anymore. It's not laugh out loud funny. You know, there are, yeah, there are a couple of gags. They're very funny, but it's not laugh out loud funny anymore. It's just dark. It's just dark. And that's, and, and, and it's a problem you have with a lot of shows like this, where I think early on you are, you are supposed to sympathize with Barry at some level and Barry is, it's impossible to sympathize with him by the end of season three. And, and, it doesn't, it kind of wants to run with that. Hater's interested enough in trying to think about doing that, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> he still kind of wants you to be okay with Barry. <laughs> and I'm 
not willing to go there anymore with the story that you've told me to this point. Like I'm, I'm all good sticking with guys I'm not supposed to like. That's not the issue. The issue is I don't, I couldn't find a compelling reason for this season to exist. And I will gladly say that that is in large part because I was watching Maisel in Succession and in Unison, like, sure. which were which were landing the plane to glorious fanfare. Like they they nailed it, and so it's really hard not to have uh, having seen them so close together to not compare them. And I I feel bad about that for Barry, but that's where I am with the last season of Barry, which is really good. Watch it, it is. It, it's really well done. I there is a there is a gag in one of the last episodes involving a rocket launcher and yes! one shot that is both like one of the best composed shots I've seen. And it made me laugh so hard. Uh, it is, it is the one moment this season that goes into sheer bugs bunny territory. Yes. Um, and, and I like um, that. Two. There's another one. That's one, but there's another one. Okay. The sand. Tried... The sand. Oh yes. Yes. The sand is absolutely bugs bunny. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, oh, I, Hank goes full Looney Tunes in this season. Yes, I, I I agree with what you're saying about Barry that the show doesn't quite commit to whether he's a villain or an antihero or whether it's supposed to feel bad or he. I I feel I agree with you that he kind of goes into Walter White territory where by the end of the show I want him stopped and I don't think the show quite feels that way. Like they they like him still and I'm like but he's not good. Um, my bigger problem was just, I thought some of the stuff, there is a time jump about halfway through the last season. Yeah. And there is one episode in particular where I felt like I got whiplash because I'm like, I don't know what I'm watching right now. And it's so dark and sad with none of the levity. And that kind of, that kind of took me out of it. The final 10 minutes of the show hinge on the emotion of a character that we just met a few episodes before, but is now played by a completely different actor who um, it, it had a, I had a hard time just emotionally connecting with that character who has basically the final moment of the series. Yes. Um, that was odd. Yes. And I didn't know how I don't. It felt like they were saying something. And I don't know what they were saying. Like, it's not an ambiguous ending. I, can, yeah. I love an ambiguous ending. But I think that that character is getting some sort of closure from this experience. And that's, that is so grossly cynical that it underdoes a lot of what, this, what made this show interesting for its first two seasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Stephen Root this season, oh my gosh. Uh, oh my god. He's just a god. so good. Everyone was good. Sarah Goldberg continue to be good. Uh, Anthony Kerrigan has a moment in the finale that is just wonderful, like wonderfully acted. Uh, yes, I, I liked Barry. Didn't love the last season, but I liked it more than most of what I've seen on TV. Um, yes. Yep. Yeah. I had I had a, a, an interesting TV experience. Um, have you seen the show Jury Duty? I have not. Okay. Uh, so Jury Duty is an Amazon show, and coincidentally, it was released the same time I was actually serving three days on Jury Duty. Um, so I, after I got out of there, I was like, oh, well, Jury Duty was an interesting experience. Maybe the Jury Duty the show will be. Uh, and it is a really fun little show. It's not great. It's not hilarious, but the concept works so much better than I was afraid it would. Um, 
So this is a show that is basically, I would just say it's The Office meets The Truman Show. Uh, in that it is a mockumentary about people on jury duty. Okay. But the twist is that one of the jurors does not know that this is what it is. He is a real person who has signed up for what he thinks is a documentary about being on jury oh. duty. And I know, I knew that's how you were going to react. No, because we've talked about I, the Nathan this is Shuttle like Windy thing. City Heat. No, um, no, I don't like this. What I will say is what I appreciated about this show is, first off, they lucked out casting this guy um, who is just incredibly chill and good the whole way through, like a good stand-up person. And the show, very smart. It's from people who wrote on The Office. Um, but it very smartly understands that the joke is never on this guy. Uh, they never do anything to make him look stupid. They never do anything to make him the butt of the joke. It's all the craziness that's unfolding around him. And then the whole final episode is really a celebration of how they pulled it off and how crucial this guy's actions were to just like making him look like a good guy who did the right thing with all these dilemmas they throw at him. Um, it's fun. It's entertaining. I, I had a good time with it. The thing that singles it out, though, is he's in an he's in an L.A. jury pool, which, of course, opens it up that, you know, there could be celebrities in there. Sure. They cast James Marsden to play himself. And it is one of the weirdest funniest <laughs> performances i i like james marston in comedy a lot like i remember they tried to make him into a you know action star movie hero for a bit and i was like i'm not having it but but he's a funny guy um and he's very funny and just plays the biggest douchebag version of himself <laughs> um constantly asking you know if anyone has seen sonic the hedgehog uh you know the learning that the guy has watched one of his movies well well did you rent that or was it available on streaming because you know i get a bump back if it's <laughs> so it's jury duty it's on amazon um it's it's not the nathan fielder version of this which would be very awkward and cringy okay it is the goofy sitcom version of this um yeah it's okay. worth a look if it's not someone's thing it's not going to change anyone's mind about the genre but it, it's fine All right. do you have any other movies uh, I think I feel a burning need to get out about. I, I mean, I could talk about how Bo is Afraid is still terrible and still probably the best <laughs> I was film wondering. that guy's made so far. Um, I, I, Bo is Afraid is an utter waste of time, but I feel it's more honest than Ari Aster's other two pieces of crap. So, I, I, I you know, he's improving without still being interesting or coherent. It's fine. <laughs> I, I wanted to see that, but I also, it's three hours long and life is short. It but, is. Uh, Boy, is it. <laughs> and it is. And me and Joaquin Phoenix, I go back and forth on him. There are some performances. I love him. There are other performances where his tortured, anxious dude is kind of a tick I've seen a lot. So, And I've I, seen I've seen Synecdoche, New York. This looks very similar. Oh, uh, yes and no. Okay. I mean, it, it ain't near as good as that. Okay. It ain't nowhere few near things as good are. as that. It's fair, fair. Uh, I am, uh, that's probably the reason I thought I would give this one more chance is because of Joaquin Phoenix, who I okay. pretty much would watch do anything. I will I will watch that mind go. I, I am fascinated by the choices he makes. 
I mean in scripts and I mean with characters. I, I like Joaquin Phoenix. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this has nothing to do with him. This doesn't feel like a movie anybody can act in. This is Ari Aster is just doing things to people, which is what Ari Aster does. I still have not seen an Ari Aster film because, um, well, a lot of it is your uh, your your recommendations. <laughs> my or my vehement disgust. Yes. But also the type of horror he usually does is just not my bag. Just, yeah, I don't know. I've been curious about this one. I, I, I've, I might still check this one out from the comfort of my own home. This is this is much more honest about what okay. really bothers him and what his obsessions are. And so I really did. I much preferred this to the first two. I'm not saying I liked it or I think it's good, but I do think it's honest and I will always reward that. Okay. Well, I got two more things. If you got the time. Sure. All right. All right. It's been a while. So the first is I've been really obsessed about this, uh, this new subgenre coming out of movies recently. We've run out of IP and now we're making the movies about making the IP. Uh, yes. Which, which is a weird subgenre to be in. It is the celebration of making stuff, celebrating yeah. things. Capitalism that make, rules. Yeah. Yeah. Things that make people a lot of money. Um, yes. So there have been four movies out about this this year already. I will say, I have not seen Flame and Hot. Maybe I will, but the fact that it's basically not based on a true story kind of keeps me away from that um i saw tetris which suggests that tetris ended the cold war um and it's sure it's not a great movie taron edgerton is fine in it but uh the one the only success it had was that it made me download tetris on my phone and i've been playing (laughs) tetris a lot lately um all they wanted to do i really like dare it was fine it was fun it was very enjoyable it's very funny movie um, and it would have been my favorite of this genre, except this weekend, I sat down and I watched Blackberry, uh, <laughs> which I swear when it was announced, I thought it was a parody of all these other movies, uh, <laughs> because it's like, you know, Air Jordan shoes make billions of dollars. Tetris ends the Cold War. Blackberry, we all had one at one point. Um, <laughs> and I really liked this movie. I need to look up who the director of this was because it's escaping me. Um, But this is really, this is about the rise and fall of the Blackberry Corporation, which at one point was responsible for 45% of the market share for cell phones. Mm -hmm. And today, as uh, as the final postscript of the film says, they are responsible for zero of the market share in the cell phone industry yeah uh, this is directed by matt johnson a director i am unfamiliar with but he also has a role in the movie um this stars jay barakel as the engineer who first has the idea to put a computer inside of a phone uh it's always sunny in philadelphia's glenn howerton plays the kind of a amoral businessman who decides he's going to team up with these guys basically comes in and takes over their company um, and has to deal with their nerd culture. Uh, Carrie always is in this uh, in, in a role. Um, this is just a fascinating movie. I, <laughs> I it, the, it, it's, it's very funny, but in a different way than air, whereas air, I felt like it was building to its funny moments and it was made to be a very entertaining movie. And I think it is uh, Blackberry the comedy comes out of the characters and the situation, this kind of culture clash, but it's also this feeling of desperation, just this, this constant having to think on your feet to figure out the technology, figure out the marketing and being smart enough to do all that and to foresee this need, 
but not smart enough to see the threat that came when the iPhone came along. And it mm-hmm. follows it through that, which none of these movies do. These movies all end on the big success story. It made billions of dollars, made a lot of executives very happy. Um, and Blackberry actually follows it through the fall, uh, which I thought was fascinating. Um, I love watching people. Well, I, I love watching movies about people who are really good at their jobs. Uh, that yes. is that is fun. That is why I like Moneyball. It's a big part of why I liked Air so much. Blackberry is the same thing. It is people who are good at their job, even if what they're good at kind of makes me sick to my stomach. Um, <laughs> Glenn Howard, I don't know if you're an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan. Um, I have never watched a second of it. Not, I'm okay. not, not, not by, not by like, I'm never going to watch that. I just never watched it. Okay. I am, I would not call myself a super fan by any means. I've seen several episodes, but it's been on for 16 years. I've probably seen 5% of the episodes, gotcha. but I always love Glenn Howerton on that show. There's a show where everyone is a horrible person and, uh, it, the fun is watching how horrible they are and how much it bites them in the ass at the end. Um, but there's always this intensity that Glenn Howerton brings to his role. It's kind of probably like the worst of this group. And he <laughs> is so dialed in here as the foul-mouthed executive who just, whatever, he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure he makes a billion dollars. And he's really good. He's hilarious. Uh, he makes me very uncomfortable. He's just got this this really intense stare in his eyes. Uh, Jay Barakal, who is also in uh, This is the End, which I just mentioned, He's really good as the engineer who has all these principles about how business should be conducted and how to make a quality product. But in order to have a successful product, he has to compromise those. And it is so interesting to watch. It's so well-written. It is one of my favorite movies of this year. I I really like Blackberry. All right. It sounds like if only Air had been about David Falk. If Eric had just been about Christmas Cena, <laughs> oh my gosh, gotten, the Christmas Cena character we'd have gotten there, right? And and I feel like this, like I I feel like this hurt Air in my estimation, even though Air is such an entertaining movie, it is so much fun. Uh, I had a great time watching that one. Yeah, it's so good. It made me not regret I was watching a movie about an advertising executive. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly right. Hundred percent. So those are movies. But I also wanted to see if uh, you had some time to do a book report, Perry, because while I was on vacation, I read Quentin Tarantino's Cinema Speculation, and I know you had read it as well. And uh, I don't know how much I have to say on it, except that I really liked it. Yeah, read it. It's, yeah, worth, it's, it's worth reading. He's he's a very good critic. He, uh, I remember we talked about the novelization he did for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And I was not as high on that as you were. And I remember reading the book and he would go off on all these long digressions about often fake characters, filmographies, um, or he'd, you know, toss in some stuff about real characters, real people's filmographies, or maybe real people's fake filmographies. Yes. And I remember reading that thinking, man, I really just want Quentin Tarantino to write a book about film. And he has. (laughs) And the thing is, is I wasn't quite quite sure what to expect so i can't say this is exactly what i expected it is exactly what i hoped for in that he doesn't suddenly adopt like an academic voice it is quentin tarantino's voice um you know it's him it's that rambling very casual sometimes very inappropriate style of writing um and he's not writing about 
elite prestige movies. He is writing about the movies Quentin Tarantino loves that fascinate him. And that is everything from Taxi Driver to Rolling Thunder to uh, there's a bunch I'm forgetting, but Deliverance is in there. Um, I had this was I could not put this one down. This was a fun read. Yeah, it's incredibly enjoyable. And it is obviously uh, a lot of had you listened to uh, the podcast he does. Mm -mm. It's really good. I, I, I recommend it. Okay. I, I, I am a Quentin fan. Yes. Uh, the podcast he does with uh, is, is, is very good. And they did a whole two part final set of episodes for their first season. Uh, that was a, a look back at the career of Rick Dalton, who I don't know if you realized passed away earlier this year. <laughs> Rest in, in peace. Hawaii. Um, <laughs> and they did it like absolutely straight faced. Like they're just, <laughs> It's remarkable to hear them play in this universe. If you are, if you've been listening to the show and understood how well the people on the show talk with each other already, you know that they didn't script this entire thing. You know that there were points that there were there were names that everybody agreed mm-hmm. upon, and you can still hear it when somebody on the show like adds to the lore, and Quentin appreciates it and giggles. You can tell the giggle is half <laughs> in the moment because he's so happy that this is now part of the lore of this character that he's created and that it fits with the show. It's it's uh, it's it's Quentin's universe. I would much rather play in it than Wes Anderson's. Which- so I don't know if you've heard, uh, Tarantino's next movie is called The Movie Critic. And the original rumors coming out were that it was about Pauline Kale, which, okay, I, I'd watch that. That might be interesting. But then I started hearing more information was coming out. I think he was at Cannes that he was talking about it. And uh, it actually seems to be based on a critic who wrote film reviews in the 70s for a, uh, an X-rated magazine. And listening to that description, I was kind of like, oh, is this the film version of cinema speculation? Is this <laughs> like, like that is the world this book is written in and, and what he's interested in? That's uh, distinctly possible. He's talked about this, and you know, and now I've since I listened to the podcast, which is the Video Archives podcast, by the way. I don't think I said the name of the show, uh, and read the book. I cannot remember. He's talked about this guy. I think okay. it's in the book, but I don't he remember may for have. sure. Um, so yeah, so I'm obviously this is feeding all his obsessions of the moment. So he is, he is all in on this, and I I expect this to be. Out and in theaters, uh, what, 20, 2015, probably, right? 2015? That'd be my guess. We're in 2023. Ah, sorry, 2025. Okay, I live in the past. Yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, uh, 2025. One, well, one thing I thought was interesting was I know Paul Schrader uh, was contacted by Tarantino to see, hey, can I use... Um, can I use your script for, I think it was Rolling Thunder in my movie, but can I change some things? And having <laughs> read the book, I'm like, oh, I know what he's changing. He's going to do the the whole original ending for that. Uh, and I'm like, what is this movie? Because is he going to have, will Taxi Driver be directed by Brian De Palma in, in yes. this universe? Uh, it, it's like his own little multiverse universe. Oh, it, it always has been. Yeah. It has been from the beginning. I like uh-huh. the theory that that's why all the people that like are after World War II in the Tarantino universe are all movie culture obsessed because of the ending of Inglorious Bastards. It was movies that blew <laughs> up Hitler. So movies are held up as the highest of possible of all art forms in this universe. Oh, yes, I've read this theory. <laughs> I haven't heard that there. That is fascinating. Yeah. Yes. That's... Yes, it is. Um, wow. 
yeah, I'm more than I'm more than happy to play in Quentin's universe. Like I said, I'm I'm whatever he wants to do. I'm not saying it'll be it'll be fantastic or brilliant, but I'm willing to follow. I I I, I trust him. And I really don't want him to retire after ten. But if he keeps writing books after that, I'll read them. I'll be very happy to read them. Which is what he wants to do. That's I think deep down that's really what he wants to do. He wants to just you know stay stay in Israel six months out of the year, come back six months out of the year to make sure that the new Beverly's okay and and write, which he can do anywhere and watch his kid grow up and make sure that the kid gets the exact right movie education. I'm sure that's all he wants to do at this point. Good for him. Exactly. If, if, if he wants to turn his kid to any anything other than himself for uh, for inspiration, he can just have him listen to our podcast. Exactly. Precisely, so. Quentin. Well, it was very <laughs> fun to catch back up and uh, we will not keep you all hanging three months for the next episode. Uh, we I will, sure hope not. We will figure out whether the next one is going to be Altman um, or when we fit that in, but we will do something in the next few weeks to talk about. Maybe we finally have to hash out Wes Anderson. Uh, in the coming weeks. Um, Maybe we will do that. Maybe we will make Asteroid City a priority for both of us. And... I'm going to see it this weekend. So maybe okay. uh, maybe we do that. So so stay tuned. We will have something coming up. In the meantime, Perry, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook. You can hear me every Friday in the Lucy and Lance show. You can hear me often uh, at the Cathode Ray Mission radio show. Uh, Friday nights uh, on the online, just search cathode ray mission. We just did an episode where we wrote, we did go through all of Barry Mm. (laughs) Uh, and we've got an episode a week from this coming Friday. So that's the 30th. Uh, We're going to, he's having some people on and ask people to pick some of their favorite pilot episodes. So we're going to talk about great pilot episodes in television history, uh, which is fun to do. And yeah, you can, you know, always find me i I wish that there was i know there's letterbox but i really wish there was like a criterion social media site that i could just hang out on. uh yeah that would be nice uh letterbox is fan are you on letterboxd i am not i'm bad uh, about letterbox letterbox is so much fun. i love letterboxd it's it's really helpful in keeping my end of the year list but it's also just a really really fun tool for me when i just get out of a movie to uh it, it's kind of my rough draft thoughts and uh it's fun. You should that do works. that. Um, How about you, Chris? Where can we read you? Oh, you can find me at Cinema Nerds with a Z, which is where I review new releases. I think I have reviews up of uh, what were the last two I did? Oh, I did The Little Mermaid, uh, which is fine. Uh, I did <laughs> Elemental, which is fine. fine. Uh, I'm hoping that the next movie I review is better than fine, but we'll see. Uh, but you can also subscribe to my newsletter, criticisms.substack.com. That might be where you found this podcast. So uh, you might've already found your way there. July 1st, I am offering the opportunity for there to be people to support the site, in which case you'll get a few more extra articles. So um, keep an eye on that. Otherwise, there's always something free up there. I'm going through a series on the movies of summer 93 right now. Uh, so yeah, subscribe to that. Find me on Twitter at mere Christianity. And um, I think that covers it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds uh, good. We'll be back in a few weeks talking about something. Maybe it's Wes Anderson. Maybe it's Robert Altman. Maybe it's the flash. It's not going to be the flash. It's not going to be the flash. It's not. <laughs> it's just not going to be the flash. All right. Until then, I will see you, Perry. Take care, Chris.